Greetings, listeners, for another lovely night of Big Talk. I'm your host, Alex Ashkin, and with me today is my good friend and overall Bloomington oddity, uh, perhaps local cryptid is a better title, Riley Donaldson, better known as Laser Hands, the Skeleton Harvester, and so many other things. For those who aren't aware... Riley has many different personalities and uh, identities, including a very notable costume designer, and his most prolific one is the Skeleton Harvester. You might see him around downtown Bloomington, particularly around Halloween time. You can notice him by uh, the very unique-looking headgear and just a strange shambling 10 foot tall creature if you see him you'll know it (laughs) riley uh we've known each other for gosh what something like 16 years now long time and so you've always been a really unique artist i mean I've always known you for doing different things. Like your artistic outlook is just so frankly unique. And we're actually doing this interview right now in Riley's studio. (laughs) And there is a quite an interesting assortment of things from different fabrics and modeling foam that's used for costumes to various robot models to metalworking tools and everything in between. Can you give us a understanding of like all the different mediums you tend to work with as an artist? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for the killer intro. That that was very uh, very awesome. I'm, I'm very humbled. As a living artist, I try to just dabble in as many mediums as possible. Primarily, I would say I am a 2D artist. I like to come up with concepts and ideas either with like a mechanical pencil on paper, just really quickly. And then I usually will make something physical from that. Like I find sculpture to be very satisfying. The fact that you have something physical and corporeal after the fact that you can handle and in some cases even wear uh, is super, super fascinating. It's like one of the best parts of art to me is like the, that pure aspect of creation. So that's, I think, part of the reason why I find like costume making and like sort of creature creation to be very, very fascinating and just in particular, always loved sci-fi, always loved pretty much anything that was like counterculture or out of the norm. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Always like identified with the monsters in monster movies and felt bad for them. It's just like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a weird amal- amalgamation of all those things. For those who haven't been introduced to Riley, first of all, he is launching a website. Yep, it is laserhandsstudio.com. Okay, laserhandsstudio.com. I guess I will do my best to try and describe Riley's art style, but the way I've always liked to call it is science fiction meets cosmic horror with an emphasis on geometric design. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's accurate. That's extremely accurate. That's a great way of putting it. And so... The thing that always stood out to me, you are like a prolific model and Lego collector. Yeah, that's that's actually very true. Um, I feel like a lot of my inspiration for geometric forms and robotics comes from my early love of playing with Lego. Like I remember when I was 10, the very first 
Lego kit I ever got as like a gift was this awesome little like Lego moon rover. And like he even had a gold visor. And I was like, this is so cool. This is this is awesome. And like from that point forward, I was just completely hooked on on, on building Legos constantly and trying to accumulate as many as I could to build my own creations and not just build stuff that's, you know, from the boxes. And then from that and from a love of anime, naturally, I, I found Mobile Suit Gundam uh, through one of my really good friends, uh, Mike Kwok. Uh, he lives in Hawaii now. He's an awesome guy. He actually got me into the model kit building in particular. So like, he showed me the very first master grade Gundam model kit I'd ever seen, which was the RX-79G ground type, which is just a phenomenal old school kit. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever, if anyone who's, who builds Gunpla or model kits knows what I'm talking about, like certain old school kits are harder because of the limitations that they had. But when you finish them, it's that much more satisfying. Like, oh, I trounced that kit. Like, like that old school tech. And I just made it look so nice. Like, made it look better than the box. Like, and that's like the real goal when you get a kit now. At least for me, is to try and make it look as good as it looks on the box, if not better. You know, I've always loved anime and giant robot anime in particular. Uh, yeah, you used an interesting term there, gunpla. Do you mind just giving a short description of what that is for people who may not be aware? Mobile Suit Gundam is an anime, and it's about these giant robots. And essentially, uh, when it came out in Japan, they funded themselves by producing these model kits, uh, these Gundam model kits. And they were, you know, pretty much direct rep- rep- you know, representations of what was in the show. Yeah, like, uh, limited well, limited to what you know, the like technology one, was. Like one 128th scale. Exactly, like yeah. That. So there's one 100th scale and one 144th scale. And like a very uh, short her- shorthand term for it is Gumpla, uh, which is pretty much just short for Gundam Plastic Model Kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a, or Gunplay, like, which is kind of a, again, a short, short of Gundam and mm-hmm. playing with model kits. But... Uh, yeah, I've loved it ever yeah. since I've gotten into it. You can see these occasionally throughout town. Um, I believe the Game Preserve still has a kit or two these days, no? No, they stopped being able to carry them. Unfortunately, there's not very many U.S. suppliers of the actual uh, model kits. Uh, there's, for some reason, Bandai America, until very recently, like refused to... like you know, stock them. Mm. Uh, now you can find them at like occasionally at like Hobby Lobbies and Michaels. Mm. Um, I've even seen TikToks where people are finding them at Target now. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool. And I've not checked my local Target, but it's worth looking for because, you know, if you can get any kind of discount or special, you know, at that, that st- big box store, you can get some really good deals on model kits. Gunpla as a whole is sort of like a unique idea because it's not just the models themselves, but sort of uh, recreating some of the famous battle scenes from the television series, creating dioramas, kind of a whole 3D art form in and of itself. It's, I think, one of the first things that we really bonded over between that and uh, video games like Halo science fiction in general tended to really bond us over time you sort of said that like lego and these models were sort of what first inspired you to foster that creative spirit and that like desire to uh create things 
what was really that like first instance where you started to realize that you had an interest in formal art? That probably came more in like school classes, like in, probably in like early elementary school, even I was just always drawing and whether it was just like for fun with me and my friends or just to try and draw different things, whether it was like a, you know, a, a, I remember for a while I was obsessed with drawing spacecraft, like lunar spacecraft, some of that type of stuff. But so, yeah, so, you know, it started with elementary school and luckily I had a mom who was very supportive and, you know, told me to, you know, keep trying, keep doing that kind of thing, especially if it was something I was interested in. I had a couple pieces get into random shows and I had one drawing actually get published in a book when I was like 12 or 10 or something. And that's what kind wow. of when I, when I knew it was like, oh, okay, well, there's clearly something into this that people are like that willing to look at this and put it in a book. And again, it was like, at the time it was like a kid's, a book about kid's art. Mm -hmm. And like it, it was a range of ages from like, I think it was like kindergarten all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, just different kids, different talented kids from all over the country. And I had just had one piece in there and I had drawn a, a scene from like a rainforest. I had just drawn wow. all these crazy trees and like weird rainforest plants and a waterfall. And it was all just black and white, just with like pencil. And it like, I just made it from my mind. It wasn't like a, mm -hmm. like looking at like a photo or anything. And again, that was just for fun. It was just something that I had drawn for fun. And my, my mom entered it into this contest and I was just like, what? And then it got like published. And, and then like, that's kind of when I realized like, oh, this is not just something you can do for fun. It can be something you can do for like a career. You can like, you know, generate more interest with it that way and that kind of thing. And it was that, that kind of a, that and other high school classes that kind of led me into to pursue art in college. You've actually now started to develop your own little niche here in Bloomington in terms of really making a career here in art, both in terms of your own independent art under Laserhand Studio, uh, your commission work and so on. But also you work with IU, the IU Art Endowment, is that correct? So technically I work for Campus Arts. Campus Arts basically is responsible for all of the artwork that IU owns that isn't owned by the museum. Okay. So the Fine Arts Museum is their own, it's kind of, they're almost kind of like they're sta a standalone entity in terms of their collection and what mm -hmm. they're curating at the, that particular time at the, uh, the Fine Arts Museum that's on campus. But I work for COSMO, which is just the abbreviation that we use for mm -hmm. it, which is short for, short for Campus Arts. And we basically... Any building, any public building that IU owns across the, the, the country, there's like other stuff outside of Indiana as well. Any artwork that you see there, whether it's 2D artwork, whether it's actual furniture, like old antique furniture that's original to the property or stuff like that, or even like, you know, china and silverware, mm -hmm. certain things like that um, are all essentially under the supervision of campus arts. Uh, okay. And we are essentially stewards of that art. And it's our job to protect and maintain that artwork so that everyone can enjoy it in the future. Has that given you an opportunity to sort of learn more about like different art forms or introduce some new skills that you otherwise haven't had opportunities to hone in the past? That's a good question as well. And a lot of what I've learned there so far has a lot more to do with almost um, curatorial or museum studies where mm -hmm. it's like the process of documenting and properly curating 
an entire collection. So wow. you have just <laughs> like for instance, like right now, I'm I was actually put in charge of constructing new archival boxes for a set of these sculptures that we have like over three three hundred of. And you know, IU Camp Campus Arts has I think over eighteen thousand pieces of art, if I remember correctly, um, that we're responsible for. The oldest of which I want to say, oh gosh, from the seventeen hundreds, it's like it's like four or five hundred years old. And there's there's some stained glass windows that are mm -hmm. in the IMU, and that, that's what I'm talking about. They're, they're literally some of the oldest pieces of art that we have. They were actually shipped from a church in Europe. So they are very old, authentic pieces of stained glass artwork. And it's it's been kind of a whirlwind, but it's been super interesting learning about the actual proper methods of handling and storing artwork so that you're not going to damage it on the long term. You know, we've got this big like storage area that we call the vault. And it is literally a vault in the sense that it is climate and temperature controlled and there are only i think six or seven people on campus that have keys to the vault and i am one of them that's exciting <laughs> and it's like it's it's got tons of art in there and it's also got a special fire suppression suppression system that basically will suck all the oxygen out of the room in a chemical way. Essentially what they do is they pump this gas called FN2000 into the room and it basically negates the fire's ability to like use oxygen. The oxygen yeah. is basically just gone. And so it doesn't have the fuel to burn, so it can't burn. Yeah, and you <laughs> don't want to get any of that priceless artwork soaking wet either. Exactly, exactly. You have to have certain systems in place in order to avoid damaging artwork and that's like just one perfect example you can't have normal sprinkler systems in a museum or in an art housing you know area anything like that and it's great that we you know have this facility <laughs> it's... you've gotten all these unique opportunities to explore your creative outlets and i think one that came about a little bit later in life is almost the performance art as <laughs> your bone speak or whatever you oh, were the doing skeleton tongue skeleton tongue yes, thank you skeleton when did you decide that you were gonna start building costumes because well first i should let our listeners know riley is perhaps the one of the more uh halloween inclined individuals <laughs> i've met in a long long time uh his lawn his his Entire house is basically currently all ready for Hollow's Eve and trick-or-treaters with all sorts of plans in place for different scarers and costumed folk to terrorize folks that are brave enough to venture through what it, it is called the Bone Orchard? Yes. <laughs> That's what I've decided to name our cemetery. <laughs> bone Orchard. <laughs> You've always been a Halloween person. Oh yeah, it is it is the only holiday that I celebrate anymore. <laughs> okay. At what point did you start taking costume design, that sort of stuff, and start making a leap into that? wearable art slash functional art, if you'd want to call it that. I would say that phase actually probably started 
in college when I started to take it more seriously. I had made a couple of like really simple custom costumes when I was in like um, middle school, but nothing like it was mostly all store bought stuff that yeah. I just you know assembled or maybe like added some extra stains to or whatever. But in college, after taking certain sculpture classes and learning techniques about um, you know metalworking and learning a little bit about using EVA foam mm-hmm. or foam smithing as it's called uh, sometimes to make costumes from another friend of mine. And that was about in 2011. Yep. So that that's about 10 years ago, surprisingly. Right. I, it's like, it doesn't feel like that. I don't feel that old. That's, yeah. like, that's weird to say. <laughs> I don't feel 33, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, about 10 years ago, I started annually turning my entire... Well, it was actually, it was my mom's house at the time, her, her entire yard and part of the neighbor's property, which they let us, they were super cool about it into this huge cemetery. And we would line it with like creepy sticks that we would put into the ground, like an, as an old stick fence. And we became notorious in the neighborhood for mm-hmm. being that house. And I loved, like, I just loved that I loved terrifying the kids. It was super fun. Uh, a lot of the kids and all, all, pretty much all the adults were like, this is awesome. Like keep up the good work, you know, that kind of stuff. And naturally there were a couple kids that just like, were like, no, we're not going to that house. It's too scary. And that's fine. And you know, I wouldn't, I wasn't, wouldn't ever maliciously scare anyone. Um, you know, I can tell pretty yeah. easily when someone's like cowering in fear it's even with a costume on (laughs) it's pretty it's pretty obvious so we would never do anything intentionally malicious or like that but it was always a good time and i think that was a big reason why i continued to make costumes it's like more ways to scare people and to throw them off so like i could use one costume one year and then make a new costume the next year and use that old costume that i had made the previous year as a red herring Mm-hmm. I could like set it up somewhere in the yard and people like, Oh, there he is. But it would be a stuffed person instead of me in the costume so that they would be distracted. So I could scare them with the new costume <laughs> <laughs> or, or have my friend scare them with the new costume. I have a good friend named Dan and he's also uh, yeah. been helping me for quite a while. Do this, this kind of scaring thing. Cause he's also a big fan of Halloween and, yeah you've sort of recruited people over the years as this has become a little bit more and more of a tradition almost to the point that this is now almost i mean there had been flyers around town (laughs) it's almost a full scale like haunted house operation yeah that's (laughs) when i when people have been asking my plans this year i said you know i'm taking work off to go work my friend's haunted house and be (laughs) professionally spooky. (laughs) This is such like a fun and unique experience because there's only so many places where you're going to find somebody who (laughs) takes the effort to really put the house in haunted house. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's true. That seems to be something like really interesting to me is just sort of your craftiness in general. You're a homeowner here in Bloomington. You've also been really proactive about whenever you have a place to like put your own unique spin on your space, whether it's uh, little things like I believe they're called floating shelves, aren't they? Or um, yeah, some little like display areas. uh, is that all still just an extension of your artistic process? And when you see a space, it's like, okay, I know how I, 
I want to set things up. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's that that's true. Uh, I've always been very, a very visual creature and, and humans naturally are, but, but me, my brain in particular, even more so, whether that's just because I enjoy certain aesthetics more or the, the, the actual act of creation and customization, as I talked about before, I think it has a little bit more to do with that, a little bit more to do with livening up the space so that it, you know, it's not, it feels lived in. A lot of the, the creative stuff usually just comes from me wanting to not look at a blank wall. So some of, of, you know, the legacy you leave behind can be in artwork, and especially if you make enough of it. That's another thing I hope to like leave behind is just like a bunch of artwork and whether, you know, people enjoy it or not right away is not a huge deal. You know, like people didn't enjoy a lot of modern artists artwork until after they died. That always seems to be one of those fascinating things with any creative art form. Franz Kafka, of course, a famed writer, didn't really see any success until after his death. Similarly, Vincent Van Gogh yeah. was largely unknown until Absolutely. post-mortem. Are there any particular artists that have really influenced your own designs? Ooh, that's a fantastic question. So I would say all of the, the lead animators of the majority of the Mobile Suit Gundam series, and they've been making these for over 30 years. Yeah. So there's, there is a buttload of of these series mm -hmm. and they all do excellent work whether it's conceptual work or or just actual design work i've always loved and i can't think of the names off the again it's one of those weird things about my brain it prioritizes visual information over label information yeah. such as like names uh <laughs> and so like i'm terrible with like even like songs that i like enjoy like i cannot remember the titles of certain ones and it's like bands that I've been listening to for years. And so like I, I struggle with uh, names of, of artists in particular, which is terrible. I highly encourage anyone listening to watch any Mobile Suit Gundam they can get their hands on. Mm -hmm. If it's older, just keep in mind, you know, when it was produced um, and the limitations of animation at the, those times. Um, not to say that there weren't some very good old school Gundam series. Hayao Miyazaki, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it, it, most people know Miyazaki and the Studio Ghibli films. Absolutely wonderful artist yeah, and animator. H.R. Geiger. Yes, yes. Geiger is definitely on my list. I've got uh, one of his books on my coffee table. <laughs> and I just always space that out. Geiger is one of my favorites. As far as like certain surreal abstract artists, I've always liked Dolly's work. And I know a lot of people like Dolly's work. But I really enjoy a lot of his like even even his like simpler stuff mm -hmm. that's not like as like photorealistic they're just really interesting expressions and if you see like especially a series of his work you can almost put yourself in his mindset and it's like it's fascinating at least for me i'm not sure everyone else has that kind of you know empath empathic ability innately maybe i've just looked at a buttload of artwork but <laughs> like i i've always really liked dolly's stuff you sort of imply that dolly in a sense in his creations was imparting a bit of his current state of mind into his art is there something like that for you where like you're trying to impart 
some sort of emotion or some sort of interact with the the viewer of your art in a way just beyond the visual art form. I consider myself a transhumanist and a futurist, so I believe that the pinnacle of mankind's evolution is technology and that we should seek all efforts to combine ourselves with that technology as a, the next form of natural evolution. I've always been inspired by futuristic styles and genres and technology, and so that's part of the reason why I draw a lot of futuristic tech or aliens or sci-fi things. It's just I'm trying to, I guess, share that love and fascination of the endless possibilities that are represent, represented by scientific exploration. Mm -hmm. Like we can literally solve all of the all of the universes and mankind's problems if we devote enough time and energy to just a, like the study of a few things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's simultaneously like inspiring and fascinating and a little bit like frightening. A little bit frightening because it's yeah, exactly. It's there's the, always the possibility yeah. of Frankenstein's monster. Right. People talk about Frankenstein's monster, you know, the Matrix where people get taken over by the machines. You know, it's who's to say that the machines already kind of haven't taken over. <laughs> like we all stare at our phones all day anyway. So Yeah. <laughs> I don't wanna take this too far over, but COVID came in year and some change ago, year and a half ago, and totally turned the world upside down for us. Since then, what has sort of helped keep you sane? Well, I would say that as an introvert, it wasn't as bad for me as it was for some people. <laughs> I know a lot of like extroverts were just struggling so hard during the lockdowns, whereas I was laughing and enjoying it because <laughs> I live under a rock. <laughs> I, I actually spent a lot of time making artwork and model kits and trying to think about ideas of how I can make money for myself without, you know, working a nine to five. And so that's kind of what started this whole process of getting my, you know, my business license or, you know, my retail merchant certificate license rather starting my website so that I can, you know, make a little income on the side and hopefully eventually that will spawn, get bigger and I can just do that full time. And just that, cause that's really what I, what I want to do is just make art all the time. That's just what I want to do is make all the things. <laughs> I want someone to let me make all the things. <laughs> so what are some of the offerings that we might be able to find at laserhandstudio.com? <laughs> I'm going to have roughly Roughly 24, 25 uh, items just to start with. It's going to be limited edition holographic vinyl stickers. And there's stuff from the Laserhand Studio logo to the Skeleton Harvester's head to weird little creatures and goofy, cute characters. Um, and I'm working on more as we speak so that I can... Tr I'm going to try and release five every month. Riley Donaldson. Evil Skeleton. Skeleton Harvester. <laughs> <laughs> local cryptid and let's be honest a bit of a weirdo yes. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me for big talk and to all of our listeners have a great night